you know, one day I would be working on a gospel album and then I, I would be working on like a large LMS project for a corporate client and then doing like a radio commercial for a car dealership. Um, you know, so it was always a, a variety, you know, of different different challenges and different outcomes that I was working on. But yeah, I mean, definitely a team effort. You know, my job was was to kind of, you know, tweak the knobs and the buttons and to, you know, come up with that technical solution, you know, to to fulfill that the vision of whoever the producer, the, you know, the band or the artist that was coming in. Um, so, yeah, definitely very collaborative. And, you know, my job was to technically execute on, you know, a vision that somebody else would bring into the studios. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of InfoSec a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my good friend and colleague, Alex Jones. Alex is a passionate technologist and information security professional. He has extensive experience in cybersecurity, compliance, as well as multimedia and communications. Alex has led security and compliance initiatives at Hudson's Bay Company, HBC Sachs, Express Scripts, Gainsight, and Cognizant. Alex joined our InfoSec team. Uh, how many How many months ago, Alex? It feels like forever. Six months. I started September 21st. Oh my goodness. I can't believe it's only been six months. So from my perspective, it feels like Alex has been along for much longer than six months, but apparently it's actually six months. Prior to Alex's career in InfoSec, he was a lead engineer and adjunct instructor at Extreme Institute and Clayton Studios in St. Louis, Missouri. Alex, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Carolyn. I really appreciate the welcome. Thank you. Alex, tell me about young Alex Jones. If I were to meet, maybe we can pretend, I actually don't know how old you are. I'm 37. We can pretend that young Alex Jones at age like 12 or 15 is meeting young Caroline Wong at age 12 or 15. What were you like at that time in your life? And we won't necessarily go into what I was like at that time. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Carolyn. You know, I was, I've always been just passionate about technology, um, a builder, you know, an engineer. I used to, you know, take apart the home speaker system, you know, take apart the receiver and the stereo systems, just trying to, you know, learn how things work, you know, um, taking apart the home computer, you know, I had an old Tandy computer growing up. Um, so just, you know, kind of a, kind of a, a nerd, um, but always just, you know, curious and interested in, in technology, you know, how do things work? Um, I was, Definitely, you know, very passionate about music, music engineering, recording engineering. Um, I started out DJing when I was about 17, 18 years old. Um, I, I borrowed some money from my parents and bought a set of turntables, you know, and taught myself how to DJ. So, you know, really just always interested in, in the technology space, music technology, and just engineering, really fundamentals of engineering. Alex, tell me about your favorite musical artist. And then tell me about your favorite event that you've ever DJed. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> it's it's hard to pick, you know, a favorite artist. Um, I mean, I, I love all kinds of music, you know, from electronic music. You know, I was a teenager in the 90s, so I definitely, you know, had that grunge phase and loved, you know, Nirvana and the, the Seattle scene and, you know, some of the some of the alt rock music from the 90s. 
you know, if I had to pick one, one favorite group, I would probably have to say the BC boys, you know, I just always mm-hmm. love, you know, their engineering and they were instrumentalists, you know, as well as, as well as MCs, um, you know, their, their producers and engineers that they work with. I always looked up to like Mario C. So if I had to pick one, I would probably say the BC boys. Very good choice. Yeah. And as far as events, um, you know, I, I DJed, um, I would say probably one highlight. I DJed in events in my hometown, Peoria, Illinois, at a, it's an old theater that has since closed down called the Madison Theater. And it was in the middle of a blizzard and a snowstorm. So we actually didn't have, you know, didn't have the turnout that we wanted, but it was a pretty awesome experience to get to you know, DJ in, in this historic theater in my hometown. So uh, Madison Theater in, in Peoria, Illinois, probably 2002, maybe 2001 was was probably the highlights of me performing. Very cool. Alex, before you really became an information security professional, you were an audio engineer. Can you tell me and our listeners, what exactly does an audio engineer do? Yeah, you know, we we make magic. <laughs> we uh, we take a lot of you know very uh, very vague you know dreams and visions. You know, we work with artists. Uh, we would work with um, with you know commercial companies, um, creative creative agencies, and you know, really the a lot of it is is just taking a vision of you know we want to make a record or we want to make a commercial or we're recording you know, an LMS series or something. And we have a vision, but we need those technical chops to get from point A to point B. So, you know, doing the troubleshooting, setting up the microphones, you know, running the signal flow in the recording studio, also understanding the file delivery, um, you know, the the data, you know, ultimately the data is worthless if it's just sitting, you know, sitting on a, on a, on a hard drive somewhere. You know, you have to have a plan to, to deliver that media out to the world. So, you know, a lot of the engineering, you know, I think of it as the principles of, you know, taking what you, what you know and, and applying it to things that you need to learn and, and continue to grow. And then having, you know, clients that have a vision and being able to execute and take that vision and technically, you know, execute to, to make sure that that vision um, comes to fruition. So that's, that's a little bit of what I think about audio engineering. That's really cool. I think that from my perspective, before talking with you about this um, and having sort of, you know, this incorrect view in my mind, I almost picture like a person with a computer, maybe with some turntables. I think the image I had in my mind is actually pretty like it's a very much a solo portrait. I, I imagine that an audio engineer is like one person you know, thinking and manipulating and, and doing this work. And, and and yet what I'm hearing you describe is actually that it's an extremely collaborative process and actually that it's very customer facing. Um, so I'm thrilled to learn about that. Um, I'm also curious to know, like, what did you think about that? I feel like having gotten to know you, you are a person who really likes interacting with people. Um, and it sounds to me like in audio engineering, you were able to sort of fulfill two parts of who you are, which is to say, number one, 
an extrovert, and number two, an engineer? Yes, absolutely. And, and I, um, you know, more of an introverted extrovert, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, being able to work in the studio, you know, it was a variety of different challenges, different projects from day to day. You know, one day I would be working on a gospel album and then I, I would be working on like a large LMS project for a corporate client and then doing like a radio commercial for a car dealership. Um, you know, so it was always a, a, a variety, you know, of different different challenges and different outcomes that I was working on. But yeah, I mean, definitely a team effort. You know, my job was was to kind of, you know, tweak the knobs and the buttons and to, you know, come up with that technical solution, you know, to to fulfill that the vision of whoever the producer, the, you know, the band or the artist that was coming in. Um, so, yeah, definitely very collaborative and you know, my job was to technically execute on, you know, a vision that somebody else would bring into the studio. So yes, agree completely. Very cool. You know, naturally, since this podcast is about InfoSec, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like looking for these parallels to draw, right? So not only are you working with technology, you're working with data, you're working with customers, but I'm also hearing that you're juggling a lot of different priorities and a lot of projects all at once. And some of these projects are actually very different from each other. Yes, absolutely. And in the studio world, you know, we we would have to deal with very, very creative minds where, you know, for example, I had a band that I worked with and, you know, their basis, their basis had this tone that he wanted on his bass. And he he always had these very, you know, very um interesting adjectives to this, you know, to describe how he wanted his bass to sound. I want my bass to be velvety or I want my bass to sound, you know, more chocolatey and more rich. There's, there's not a, you know, a velvet button on a, on a console, you know, so I would have to take that, you know, take that adjective and, and go in and, you know, technically tune that. And then working with some of my corporate customers and corporate clients, you know, they would have very different outcomes that they were looking for. I, I worked on a large, a large project for a corporate client. We recorded um, hundreds of hours of voiceover in 28 different global languages because they were doing like a learning management system and doing handbook and different training for their entire global workforce. So I had to record, you know, a 60 page script in in 27, 28 different languages from all over the world. And the client had very complex file delivery where you had to have, you know, this folder has to be in English and you have to have you know, these files broken up into this way and edited this way. And then, you know, Japanese or, um, you know, Spanish, you know, French, you know, all of these different languages had to have different subfolders and different media requirements as far as delivery. Um, so yeah, definitely just understanding, you know, being a good listener, understanding what are the, what are the outcomes that the customer is looking for and then how to execute on that technically to, you know, to achieve that vision and that outcome. So that was something that, you know, I learned in, in the in the studio world that I've been able to carry over into information security. Very cool. You know, I can imagine working with a client who's saying, you know, I want you to make the sound of my bass more velvety, you know. And then I also expect that throughout your InfoSec career, perhaps you've worked with executives or maybe clients that say, I want you to make my cloud secure. <laughs> and yeah. that is one might you know, jokingly say that, uh, it's, it's just as, um, it's just as much a matter of interpretation. There's certainly no 
make my cloud secure button, just like there's no make my base velvety button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Alex, let's talk about your transition. How did you find yourself in InfoSec? So in 2010, you know, I started to do a lot of homework and, you know, I, I had already been doing some of the IT and some of the technical work around the studio. You know, I was always very interested in, in the IT and the information security side. You know, I was helping manage like an FTP server, managing data backups and some of the file delivery. And really, I just, I, I just had a keen interest more in the offensive side. You know, what are, what are the hackers doing? Um, you know, looking at some of the, the data breaches that were starting to happen, you know, and this was an area that I knew was going to be, you know, high growth. You know, there was going to be a lot of jobs and, and just a lot of opportunity. So I decided to go back to school in, in 2010 and, and finish my bachelor's degree in cybersecurity. And, you know, really just was more interested, especially, like I said, you know, the, the offensive side, you know, looking at, at, um, you know, what are, what are some of the data breaches? You know, what are, what are a lot of the attackers going out and, and doing and, and really just following the news, you know, around this time was, was when we started to see a lot of the big, you know, the big news grabbing, headline grabbing, um, data breaches. So I was, you know, still working. Um, working in the studio, working as an adjunct instructor and, and decided to go back to school and really just, um, you know, did a lot of, a lot of hard work, you know, reading, writing, you know, doing online studies to finish my bachelor's degree. And, and ultimately I knew that, you know, the threads would all sort of stitch together eventually, you know, once I got more hands on and got, got that experience, I knew that that technical ability that I had of, you know, just being able to solve problems, being an active listener, you know, being able to understand what are the outcomes of, of, you know, my clients, my customers goals. So I knew that some of that would carry over technically in, in the security world as well. But I had to get hands on and, you know, learn more about disaster recovery and learn more about compliance and incident response and, you know, really roll up my sleeves and, and start getting more hands on experience in the cyber world. But fortunately, you know, some of those skills have, have, I've been able to carry them over and, you know, still use the communications, you know, pretty regularly and um, developing, you know, developing programs, you know, you, you have to have the people skills as well. So, um, so I've been able to try to merge, you know, some of the background and, and kind of carry that over into the security career. You know, Alex, one of the things that we talked about was as an audio engineer, the different types of projects and clients that you're managing all at once. How do you think about what I call the chaos ball of information security roles and responsibilities uh, throughout your career? How have you developed a mindset to be able to handle all of it and be able to prioritize things at the right time? Sort of a broad question, you know, how how do you do it? How do you how do you do it all? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, really, it's it's a lot of, you know, just understanding, you know, understanding what are the outcomes, you know, what are the goals, the business objectives that you're trying to, to get to, you know, understanding some of those requirements and, and, and just understanding pain points. Um, you know, in, in, in my role in the studio, in you know, one of my, my managers at the time, she always sent me the most difficult, you know, cantankerous clients because she said, you know, if you have a challenging project, if you need something that's complex or something that's, very customized, you know, send them to Alex because he's going to listen to what you need. 
and he's going to come up with a way to a way to get this solved, you know, and and have a, a happy customer. So really, it's it's just you know breaking down larger problems into small problems, you know, understanding the the objectives, and you know sometimes you can have big objectives that uh, may be a larger project may have to be broken down into you know smaller subsets and smaller problems. So you know I, I definitely recommend you know people in the security field, people that are interested in cybersecurity. You know, you have to be able to use engineering principles to to break things down, you know, into into smaller problems. Um, you know, something else that I think everybody in security, you know, you mentioned the chaos. You know, we have to be able to prioritize and execute, you know, in, in very, very rapid cycles. You know, sometimes it's 100 times a day, you know, the in the start of the morning when I wake up, I'm like, OK, I have to triage, you know, what came in the inbox over the weekend, what came in the inbox, you know, over the over the the off hours. So I have to triage and say, what's the highest priority? You know, if there's an issue, like does that something has to be triaged? You know, if there's if there's something that's high, high impact, high risk, then I want to put my focus on that, you know, prioritize and execute in that space. And then as I get things accomplished, you know, move down into into lower priority tasks. And then really that that cycle of prioritize and execute and then reprioritize is something that, you know, security professionals, we have to do you know, sometimes hundreds of times a day. So that's, that's something that, you know, helps, helps with some of the chaos. You know, it's, it's definitely been busy, but, you know, understanding what is important to the business and, and prioritizing and executing on those are, are some points that I have. You know, Alex, I'm, when I was, okay, let me start that over. I, I went to go press unmute and then I pressed start video, which I'm like sitting at my daughter's um, desk because, it's farther away from my bedroom door so that in theory, if my kids are making a lot of noise, then I get less of it over here. Plus my daughter's desk is the right height for my microphone. So anyway, um, I will start over. Hmm. Alex, one of the things that I did as I was preparing for our conversation today is I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and I'd love to share with our listeners some of the recommendations that you've received from folks that you've worked with. Uh, I'm going to read out a couple. These are from folks that worked with you, Alex, at Cisco and at Google. Um, so one of them says, I worked with Alex on a number of enterprise information security assessments and was continually impressed by him. He served as the quarterback on several very challenging Fortune 100 InfoSec assessments and approached each with a remarkable blend of technical expertise and business sense. He continually went well beyond expectations and successfully navigated each assessment, working with customer contacts and our internal teams from sales, legal, product, and engineering. I would be excited to work with Alex again and would recommend him enthusiastically. Uh, the second one says, incredibly reliable is the phrase that comes to mind when I think about Alex. I've had the pleasure of managing and working with Alex and have found him to be an excellent asset to the team. Alex consistently exceeds expectations by delivering high quality results through ingenuity, persistence, and an ever-present willingness to help even when it means stepping out of his comfort zone. And it goes on and on and on. Um, Alex, I think you've seen a lot of success in your career. What advice do you have for folks who might be struggling in their infosec careers or might just need a little bit of inspiration? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. And and I think that there's, you know, there's a problem with burnout, you know, in security because everybody's so busy. There's there's, you know, so much happening, uh, keeping up with the threat landscape. You know, my my recommendation would be to you know, take a deep breath and and, you know, figure out what is most important to you and what is most important to your organization and your leadership. You know, there's there's always going to be something to do, but when you when you have a, a good picture and a clear understanding of you know what your top priorities are, that definitely helps helps with with managing you know managing a lot of tasks. You know, security burnout in the security field is is definitely real, um, just because it's been it's been so crazy you know in the past five ten years. So my recommendation would be, you know, to every anybody who's struggling in the security field, you know, looking to expand, you know, expand some of their skills, you know, maybe change roles, you know, show show grit and dig in, and you know, the the work will it will. I'm I'm trying. I'm sorry. I want to pause for a second there. I'm trying to figure out. No worries. Take a breath and then start over wherever. You feel comfortable. Um, you were on a roll there, and I love what you have to say about this question. Yeah, thanks, Carolyn. So, you know, my my recommendation would be to, you know, to you don't have to accomplish everything all at the same time. And this goes back to some of those engineering principles of, you know, breaking breaking uh, big rocks into small rocks. You know, you you can never move a mountain all in one piece, you know, you have to break up a mountain into smaller stones, you know, to make it movable and manageable. So, you know, just a couple recommendations would be to, you know, to stick with it. You know, there's, there's so much opportunity and there's really, it's very rewarding being in the security field. I mean, me, especially, you know, I, I feel like every day we're, we're trying to make the internet a safer space. We're trying to, you know, protect people's data we're trying to help, you know, help make people uh, make accessibility on the internet more secure. So, you know, roll up your sleeves, show some grit, you know, take a deep breath. Um, you know, going back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, and some of the references, you know, don't panic. <laughs> there's, there's, um, there's you, I'm sure you have a team around you that, that will help and, you know, rely on your leadership, rely on the community to, um, to, to help you through your problems. But there's, you know, there's so much opportunity and so much reward in the security community and, and in the security field. So those those are just a couple tips on, you know, on folks that are struggling in cybersecurity. Alex, I'm going to pause um, only because the next question I'm going to ask, I'm thinking about different ways to phrase it. So I like to ask people questions about like, favorite and least favorite and i'm wondering if you would prefer for me to ask like favorite and least favorite i guess i don't want to say like jobs in your career because i don't want to put you in a position where you're like well i worked for this place and it sucked um (laughs) i think there's there's favorite and least favorite things about the infosec job overall i think there's also um another way that i can ask is if you would share like a really fun experience working at InfoSec and then maybe one that was particularly challenging. Um, so I wonder if you have a preference on one of those questions. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as far as favorites, least favorites. Um, yeah, I, 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 let me, let me think for a second here. I mean, I can definitely, 
you know, talk about and uh, talk about some least favorite, you know, in, in more general, <laughs> in more general terms. Um, I mean, I have a couple specific cases, you know, just from, you know, legacy on-prem, you know, uh, big data center moves and kind of moving a lot of old metal, um, you know, that could be like uh, a least favorite, I would say. Um, most favorites, I mean, I think Cobalt, <laughs> joining the team at Cobalt, I would say, is is has been, uh, you know, probably my favorite that I could say that would stand out. Cool. I mean, I'm thrilled to hear that. I also want to make sure that we're not being too self-promotional. You know, I think for me, it's a way of um, kind of saying to you, you know, what is a a peek into your cubicle from a time when you were working in InfoSec? You know, an interesting project, a case study, something like that is kind of what I'm wondering about. Um, or, you know what, you and I talked about... Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. So, um, I know what I'll ask you about if you're up for it. Um, I'll ask you about, uh, compliance stuff. Um, so here we go. Um, okay. Alex, uh, I understand that one of the areas that you've developed some serious experience and expertise in has to do with compliance. I wonder if you would consider uh, sharing some of your experiences about working in security compliance um, at some of uh, the places that you've been. Yeah, thanks, Carolyn. I would say one one highlight. I would say of uh, well, just two two areas. You know that I think are are focused more on on the compliance side. You know when when I started my role with um, with Hudson's Bay Company, you know we went through a large PCI audit. And at the time, this was, this was just a massive undertaking. And after about, about a year and a half of, you know, working significantly with, with different stakeholder teams, you know, cross-functionally across the network and infrastructure, um, IT, we, we ultimately went through and, and had a passing PCI audit, which was, which was a big, um, a big step up. You know, there were some previous, um, previous PCI audit that, you know, there was a team that was decommissioned and reorganized. So, so getting that successful audit, you know, for PCI at, at Hudson Bay Company was, was definitely a, a significant win for the organization. Uh, another large audit that I worked on in, in a past role was the SOC 2 audit that I had worked through with Gainsight. Um, when I started, we had just started going through and doing a gap assessment and, and just building the, uh, the initial audit program for SOC 2. And within about six months, we went through the SOC 2 type 1, which is, is the design effectiveness of, of the design of the controls just in, in one period at a period of time. So as of, as of X date, there is, you know, there are controls in place. And then the type 2 auditing is over a period of time, the operating effectiveness of those controls. So, so we were able to go through and, and really build that type 1. And then about a year later, we did the type 2 audit. And both of them were successful. So that was, that was definitely a big accomplishment and a win was to go through the auditing, you know, with, with previous roles at Hudson's Bay Company and SOC and, and the SOC 2 auditing that we did at Gainsight. Very cool. Um, certainly I have a perspective on the importance of compliance and security. Um, I'd love to know what do you think about the role of compliance and what do you think about 
the difference between compliance and security? Yeah, that's that's a great question. You know, I I think the biggest the biggest and the most important piece of compliance is really communication and and stakeholder engagement. You know, a lot of the compliance controls are are not overly complex. You know, there's there's just you know controls that you have to communicate and establish you know establish that communication and alignment with stakeholders. You know, a lot of SOC two. You know, it's there's there's people requirements. You know, do you do background checks? Do you have job descriptions? Um, do you um, you know have uh, onboarding processes and offboarding processes? You know, these are not not extremely complex uh, technical requirements, but it always requires a lot of stakeholder alignment just to make sure that you know that you're meeting these controls. So, and like you said, you know the the difference between security and compliance. This is always a an interesting topic. You know, and, and my response and, and what I commonly say is I've seen companies that are able to, you know, get a compliance report and able to get a checkbox, you know, and say, Hey, you do all these things and you get a compliance report that says, you know, thou shalt do this, but there's still security gaps. So if you, if you are naturally, if you naturally have a very good and strong security program, the compliance pieces will kind of be inherited into that security program. But I have seen some cases where, you know, you can have a bunch of compliance boxes checked, but there's still some fundamental and, and, and issues, you know, with the, with the root of the security program. So, you know, I think the common nomenclature is uh, compliance is not always equal security, but if you are doing security really well, then that will naturally kind of be inherited into the compliance program. Yep. That makes perfect sense to me. I think you said it very well, Alex. Thank you. Alex, I want to shift gears and and talk a little bit about your cloud security work. Uh, so my understanding is that in your previous role, you were involved in a major cloud security initiative. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about what was involved um, in terms of the scale uh, in terms of some of the challenges that you faced and some of the pain points that you were trying to resolve? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I led a, a very large cloud security initiative, you know, in, in a big organization. And we we ultimately uh, decided on a Palo Alto Networks tool called Prisma Cloud, which is kind of the leader in, in public cloud computing. You know, we, we initially did some, some proof of concept work, but before... Palo Alto had bought Prisma. We we did some demos and proof of concept work with the predecessor of Prisma that was called Redlock, and the ability and and the functionality of Redlock, and then ultimately what became Prisma for Palo Alto Networks. I mean, we were just we were blown away. The the tool automatically queries cloud APIs. You know, cloud security is particularly challenging. Because the the cloud is so dynamic, it's very ephemeral. You know, you have auto scaling, you have um, you have different cloud groups that will scale up and scale down based on loads. You have you know these abstracted layers using Kubernetes and Docker. So the cloud for traditional security models is is just is challenging. So the best practice and and really the answer that that a lot of cloud security tools are moving towards is. You know, using APIs and using using automation. So we deployed uh, Prisma in a large product a large product environment that was in AWS, 
but the organization had uh, thousands of cloud accounts across um, Azure, across GCP, you know, across across a lot of a lot of different cloud um, cloud environments. So uh, Prisma really allowed us to automate and scale that because you're essentially querying the APIs from the cloud on a regular interval every 10 or 15 minutes. So it gives you very, very rich data, interactive data that is near real time. Um, so using Prisma, we were able to, you know, stand up and build sort of the initial, um, uh, some of the initial cloud security tooling and automation within, uh, within this organization. Wow. That is very cool. Um, Alex, there's some folks still who feel like cloud is inherently has so much risk that it's sort of not worth it. Um, what might you say to some of the security practitioners that are struggling with that mindset? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, I always go back to, you know, just the very fundamental threat modeling questions. You know, you, I know you've interviewed Adam Chilstack and I, I know Adam and, and a lot of his threat modeling thought leadership. You know, you can do cloud securely, but most importantly, you have to understand, you know, the first question of threat modeling is what are we doing? <laughs> you know, so understand, you know, what are, what are you doing in the cloud? What are your objectives? If you're using infrastructure as a service, your security controls are going to look much different than if you're using a SaaS, SaaS cloud solution, like such as Salesforce or Box. So, you know, start with the fundamentals and, and really ask the questions, you know, what are we doing? What are the goals we want to accomplish in the cloud? And then from there, that will naturally fit into if you're using infrastructure as a service and you're using Docker, you know, then you may need some container security or, or Kubernetes. Um, so, Asking that question of what are we doing, you know, is, is a very fundamental, a fundamental requirement because then from there, once you have a good understanding of what you're doing in the cloud, out of that, you can then, you know, establish some security baselines and security controls. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who, like you said, you know, are very, uh, very hesitant to put anything in the cloud. And, and I think that they're, you know, ultimately there, there is, uh, there is some, some weight to that argument and, you know, what we see in the cloud now is, you know, in 10 and 15 years ago, you used to have an entire IT department. There was a networking team. There was a firewall team. There was an identity access management team. There were development teams. There were QA teams. You know, you would have an entire IT and data center department with, you know, 10 teams. In the cloud now, you can sign up and create an account in AWS or, or GCP, and you have that entire team, whether it's networking, you know, infrastructure, databases, all of that is within the click of a button in a cloud interface. So, so understanding what you're doing and understanding that there is, you know, there is some responsibility behind having all that power to be able to basically build an entire data center within a cloud tenant. So understand what you're doing. And, and once you have a good understanding out of that, you can then build your security baselines and controls for how you need to secure that cloud. Incredible. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today, for teaching us. Um, I know that Ray, our CISO, and I, we really just could not be happier uh, to have you as a leader on Cobalt's InfoSec team. Uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you very much, Carolyn. I appreciate you inviting me, and it was a pleasure. 
Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt.io, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec. Thanks for listening.